trust you're doing well. Yes? Another quiet bunch this evening. Amen to that one. Jonah chapter 3. Are we there? Ready to roll? Look at verse number 3 real fast. Um, there it says that, So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. I just want to look at that phrase, exceedingly great city. And then we'll back up to begin uh, verse number 1. Nineveh is described as this amazing place, a, a mighty city, an exceedingly great place. Once you know, it's very important to realize that as exceedingly great as it was, God certainly wasn't impressed. God was not impressed with Nineveh's architecture. God wasn't impressed with Nineveh's culture. God wasn't impressed with Nineveh's military might. I suppose if God was impressed about anything, what God was impressed by was the wickedness of the people. So much so that he devises a plan, and that plan entails sending a prophet to go and to, to speak to the wickedness and, and to call out to them, drawing attention to their wickedness. So he devises a plan to send a prophet to speak out to see if the Ninevites would repent from all of their wickedness. The only problem was the prophet to whom he went had plans of his own. He, he wasn't too interested in fulfilling that assignment, and he uh, decides to take matters into his own hand to flee and to escape and to do something else. Now, it's easy for us to, to look at this account and to think very critical of, of, of Jonah and think, man, what was that dude's problem? Why is he so rebellious? Why is he so defiant? Why is he so willing to try to avoid what God is clearly calling him to do. Yet I wonder how many of us are here tonight, sitting amongst us, knowing that God has called you to do something, and yet, as much as you'd hate to, you'd have to admit, I'm Jonah, refusing to do what God has clearly called me to do. Maybe that thing that he's calling you to do is something specific in your life, but you just haven't come around to it. Maybe it's to forgive someone, but you just can't seem to, to bring yourself to the point of letting it go. Maybe it's um, a call to share the gospel with a family member, or a neighbor, or a friend, or even a stranger. Perhaps it's God's calling you to sacrificially meet the need of someone else to whom you know is struggling and is in need, desperate need. Whatever it is, would it be that God has revealed for you to do something for someone? And like Jonah, you're on the run? Tonight, I want us to kind of walk through chapter 3. We're going to discover three major truths tonight. Really, truth number one would probably be more so a summary of chapters one and two, but we're going to look at these three truths. And so what I'd like to do is begin by reading uh, verse number one, or read verses one through four. 
It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. In other words, go there and say what I'm going to tell you to say. Well, it's saying. So Jonah arose and, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city and, and three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and he said, here's the declaration. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message. So truth number one is this. In spite of our past, God does not give up on us. Despite our past, God doesn't give up on us. One of the saddest things that I can think of is that there are probably millions of people who are out there in our world today who think that God has given up on them. Perhaps they've done something. They've blown it. They've, they've sinned grievously. And because of that, they think that God doesn't want them anymore, that God can't use them anymore. But nothing could be further from the truth. And Jonah gives us a perfect example of that reality. I mean, let's face it. We all blow it. We all mess up. Some of us more recently than others, but none of us are, are perfect, and none of us get it right all the time. And so uh, don't let your past paralyze you from becoming what God desires you to be. So don't be stuck in the past. Don't let it paralyze you from being that person that God desires you to be. I want you to think about some significant people of the Bible who really blew it. People that, man, they messed up greatly. And yet, God did not hold their past against them and still worked mightily through them. We'll go with the obvious example tonight. Think of Abraham. In spite of God's promise to him that they would have a child, and he would have a child with Sarah, Abraham got impatient, he took some bad advice, had sex with another woman, and brought chaos into his life. Now, after Abraham came back to God, God could have given up on him. But after Abraham came back to him, then, then he still became the father of many nations. And that's just one example. Think of jo Jacob. Jacob, man, he, he, he lied to his family. He stole from his family. God could have easily given up on him. But after Jacob returns to God, he's still given the name Israel. I mean, God still uses him. He's the namesake for the entire nation of God's people. Then there's people like David. In spite of the fact that David commits murder, adultery, God doesn't give up on him. And after David repents and comes back to the Lord, then he's still known as a man after God's own heart. There's Peter. Peter denies that he even knows Jesus several times. In front of large groups of individuals, he, he denies knowing our Lord. God doesn't give up on him. Peter repents and is restored. He becomes one of the greatest early church leaders. Even Paul. Paul was vicious, brutal in his persecution of believers. God didn't give up on him. When Paul came to, to know our Lord, then God used him as a missionary to the Gentiles. And 
personal opinion. Outside of Jesus, I think he's the greatest leader example that we see in the New Testament. So in our study, we're going to see how time and time again, God never gave up on Jonah. You see that all through chapter 1, chapter 2. God never gave up on him. Nor does God give up on his desire to provide an opportunity for the Ninevites to repent. So, so here's beautiful truth number one. In spite of your past, God does not give up on you. Truth number two, in spite of your past, God does not look down upon you. Go back to verses one and two. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Now, if you didn't know any better, you would have uh, never had known if you just started picking up in chapter 3 that Jonah was on the run previously. There's no hint of that here. And I think that's beautiful because I think that's the way that God works. When you return to God after running from him, your past doesn't limit what God can do in your present or in your future. Somebody ought to be like, yeah, amen. Thank you, God, for that truth. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse number 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Imagine. Like you read chapter 3, it's like there's no hint of it. God doesn't remind him of his shortcomings. God doesn't say, hey, you blew it before. Don't blow it this time. Like if this would have been somebody else sending Jonah out again, then this verse would read much, much differently. Perhaps it would sound something like this. Then the word of the supervisor came to Jonah a second time and said, hey, go to Nineveh to do what I'm going to tell you to do, but don't blow it this time. Or, I mean, imagine if it was a, a so the word of a mother-in-law came to Jonah a second time. I'm not even going to go there. But look at it. There's no mention of Jonah's mistake here. There's no resurfacing of his sin. God looks at Jonah in chapter 3 just like he does in chapter 1. And I find great comfort in knowing that. Because our problem is that, that we tend to think that God works the way that we would work. That God responds the way that we typically would respond. Like for example, there, in workplaces, right? Uh, if an employee fails or, or struggles at their job, then it's very likely that they're going to be disciplined in some manner. Many places have like HR reps or uh, your, your discipline might be recorded and documented and, and placed inside of your personnel file, right? And it becomes time for uh, the boss to give consideration to promotions or, you know, transfers or, or raises, then, then one of the things that they'll have to consider is an employee's past performances. And so whatever is contained within those personnel files could could help or could hinder someone having an opportunity for promotion or achievement in the workplace. 
But God doesn't do that. When a person returns to the Lord, he doesn't hold back on them because of their past mistakes, which leads us to our third truth. So in spite of our past, God doesn't give up on us. In spite of your past, God doesn't look down on you. And then number three, it's not our hearing that pleases God, but it's our obedient response that pleases Him. It's not just hearing it. James talks about that. It's not just hearing the Word. It's being obedient to the Word. So let's continue. Look at verse number, number five. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste the thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violent which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, the Ninevites, they believed Joseph's Joseph, Jonah's message to repent. They believed his word, and they have a great sense of urgency about themselves. And notice the, what a miraculous effect the word of God had on their hearts and on their lives. I mean, the king issues a decree. Man, don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Mourn. Lament. Cry out to God. It's a confession a call for confession of sin, put on sackcloth. And not just people. Did you catch that? The people and the beast. Everything. So, so, so those individuals that like to put clothes on their dogs and on their cats and on whatever, I guess there's biblical support for it right here. Because they're clothing everything in sackcloth. I mean, that is mourning to the extreme. But God's word had that effect on them. I mean, if you want to get a picture of just how drastic this, this turn of events are, then you need to look at other places in Scripture so that you can have a, a better picture of just how grossly sinful Nineveh was. And so you see Nineveh's rebellion and then repentance. And then I just think it's interesting to, to put that into comparison uh, about the stubbornness or the unwilling to, unwillingness to repent that the Israelites were demonstrating at this time. So you have the enemies that hear a I'm just going to say it, a, a rather lame message. It's eight words long. It's, there's nothing, there's no meat there, but it was powerfully effective because 
That was the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet in order to accomplish what God desired to accomplish from it and stuff. But then the Israelites have prophets after prophets after prophets after prophets after prophets, and there's a stiff-neckedness about them. You can see just how, how bad the Israelites were at this time when you read in places like Hosea chapter 13. We're not going to read there tonight. And then, in, uh, not this Sunday, but uh, two weeks from now, when we get to Amos chapter 6, we'll, we'll see a better picture of of just the rebellion of the Israelites during this time. And so the Israelites, in comparison to the Ninevites, well, they were extremely self-centered. I mean, they, they had wickedness about themselves as well. They relied more upon their own power, more upon their own strength. more They relied more upon their own personal security or, or more upon their own possessions than they did trusting and relying upon God. I mean, the poor were so oppressed that it was hard for them to even imagine that God could see their struggle in the midst of the great oppression that they were experiencing. But in comparison to the poor and their oppression, the Israelites at this time, they were reaping material possession, which is a time to point out that material possession does not always indicate God's blessing upon a person. It could, but it could also indicate the extreme self-centeredness of an individual as well. So material blessing isn't always, material possession isn't always directly linked to God's blessing. Now to be clear, God holds us accountable for both how we obtain our wealth as well as how we use what we have for his glory and for his honor. So the Israelites had heard many messages from prophets without repenting. But then the the people of Nineveh, they only needed to hear the message once. And it completely breaks them down. I mean, Look at the simplicity of the words. It's not eloquent, but God used it. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then look at verse number 5. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Notice, they didn't believe in Jonah. No, nor should they. But they believed in the God of Jonah. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that at the time of judgment, the people of Nineveh will stand up to condemn the Israelites for their failure to repent. Does that sound familiar to you? I'll show you. Come with me to Matthew chapter 12 so that you can see it for yourself. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse number 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Verse 39, But he answered, and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it 
but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus is right there. And they still experience this stiff-necked rebellion at the time of the judgment then the Ninevites who repented they're going to stand out and speak out words of condemnation for those that failed to listen and to uh, respond appropriately to the word of the Lord which is interesting because as soon as we finish the book of Jonah we're going to go straight into the book of Nahum. Nahum, if you make the connection or not, I'll tell you, is about a hundred years after this account. A hundred years later, a generation or so afterwards, the Ninevites have abandoned their confession unto God and again have become extremely wicked. And so the word of the Lord is going to come through another prophet, Nahum, but this time the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet is not even an opportunity for repentance. It's a warning that God's going to bring the judgment and it's going to happen soon. And, and so that's the journey that we'll go on. But, but back to Jonah, last verse. And tonight we'll finish rather early. But look at the last verse. Verse number 10. See the response of God. When God saw their deeds and they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. See, it's not our hearing that pleases God. What pleases God is our rightful obedience to his word. We can listen to the word of God all day long. We can talk about the word of God exhaustively. But listening and speaking are insufficient. That's better. It's not enough. The word of God must go beyond our ears and penetrate the core of who we are. Because when it penetrates our core, then it will affect everything that we do. And then how we live our lives will be a result of the Word of God in us. And so His Word is alive and it's active. This isn't some stale reading or some, some boring stories to, to work through. No, this is has great power to transform our heart and our lives if we'll be willing enough to be disciplined to stay engaged with his word. But a lot of us lack the discipline. I think, I don't have statistics to prove it, just observations after, I don't know, almost more than 25 years of ministry. But I think the majority of believers 
read their Bibles when they're at church. It doesn't go much beyond that. And I think it surfaces. I mean, you, you see that sometimes. I don't know, man. Like, how can we be in a same Bible study group for 30 or 40 years and there's no drive to take what we've been studying 30, 40 years and put it into action and, and reaching strategically to those that are in need. That makes sense? It's like we're good to come around and sit around a table and talk about the Word of God, but that's not enough. Like, that, that, that's helpful, and we need to have those conversations so that we could, you know, encourage each other. But it's not enough. We've got to take the Word of God, and we've got to rightfully apply it to who we are and how we live. And so, like, I think sometimes we just, it's going to sound weird coming from a pastor, but I think sometimes we just do too many Bible studies. We're too quick to move on from one Bible study to another when we should be living out the last, last Bible study that we just participated in. There's a spiritual condition that I think the church is greatly affected by. I would call it spiritual constipation. All you do is take in, take in, you take in. You go from this service to that service, this Bible study, that Bible study. You just take in, you take in, you take in, you take in, you take in, and you never serve, and you never give. Well, you do that with food, you, you get a problem. And I think the church, spiritually constipated, might be a pretty good word picture for what many believers are experiencing right now. So we take in God's word. We allow it to correct who we are. We allow it to build us up, to give us the, the confidence that we need so that we can do what God has called us to do, so that we can be who God calls us and expects us to be. What pleases God is when we rightfully obey his calling and his word. So is there some area in your life tonight that you're struggling with? You know that God's calling you to do something, but you're just living in rebellion to that. I can't tell you what it is. I mean, you know. You know. The question is, how much longer are you going to be like Jonah and be on the run? May you experience freedom, freedom. May you have joy in serving God and doing what he has called you to do. May you trust that God actually knows what he's doing. If he has a plan for you that he's calling you to step into an area of ministry, an act of service, a word to be shared, a gift to be given, whatever it is, if God is leading you to do something, then trust him. Trust him. He's got you. He's got you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that we would trust you with all that we have. Father, I pray that those just wouldn't be words that we say, but it truly would be a reflection on how we live our lives. God, create within us a hunger your word. God, create within us an understanding of who you call us to be and what you call us to 
do. And God, may we have the courage and the confidence to walk in obedience to your word. God, may we no longer be more influenced by outside voices, but may we be greatly influenced by your word. So God, help us tonight. May we stop running from what you've called us to do. May we stop looking like Jonah, and may we just repent, confess our sins for what they are, and may we turn to you to live a life of rightful obedience. And God, may you be glorified in and through our lives. God, help us. Help us to love you more. Help us to love one another more. Help us to be open and honest about who we are, what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with. Help us to trust each other. Father, should someone come to us and begin to open up about their lives, about their struggle, then then may we have the, the character to hold those things in confidence and not to be gossiped or anything like that, but to truly pray for our brother or sister, to encourage them, to do whatever is necessary to walk alongside them in their time of struggle and need. God, may we all celebrate together. Father, if you should bless us with another day to live, I pray that we will rest well tonight and that we'll be anxious and excited to share your, your love, share Jesus, share the message of salvation to anyone that will listen to us. So God, I pray that you'll be with us now. In Christ's name I pray.